The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 about the picture of the gospel that we find when the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, were baptized unto Moses in the Red Sea and in the cloud, and then journeyed through the wilderness, and finally the faithful ones crossed the river Jordan and entered into the promised land. That's a picture of how the sinner is a servant of the devil, a servant of sin, and he, by faith in Christ, must be baptized for remission of sins and then spend his life, the rest of his days, as a faithful Christian, a member of the church, and then at the end of life, cross over the river of death into heaven itself. I believe this is a very fitting picture of the gospel. The apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verses 9 to 11, that the Old Testament prophets by the Holy Spirit told ahead of time, foretold, prophesied the grace that should come unto us. And that includes the scriptures, the record there in the Old Testament written by Moses, how that Israel was in bondage in Egypt and their journey to the land of Canaan is a picture of the gospel of Christ today. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant of how that all our fathers are under the cloud. That's the cloud that hovered over them while they crossed the Red Sea. And all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. When I was a student at Freed Hardiman College, Brother N.B. Hardiman was president of the school, and he taught a special Bible class every morning at 7.30. And in that Bible class one day, I'd started preaching when I was 15 years old and didn't finish high school till three years later. And I'd been out preaching, and Brother Hardiman said, Nichols, do you baptize little babies? We were studying 1 Corinthians 10. And we read this verse in the class, and he said, Do you baptize little babies? I said, No, sir. He said, Were there any little babies in the nation of Israel when they came out of Egypt? I said, I suppose so. He said, All of them crossed the Red Sea? I said, That's right. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud? Yes, sir. And there were little babies in that group? I said, I suppose so. Why don't you baptize babies? If you think that's a picture of the gospel, why don't you baptize babies? Sounds like a good question, doesn't it? But the point is, and he asked the class to look for the best answer possible to it, and the next morning I was able to report back to him an answer that he accepted. Brother Hardiman, the only ones that had to cross the Red Sea to be saved from Egypt were the ones that were in bondage in Egypt to start with. Since little babies then were in bondage to, in Egypt, they had to cross the Red Sea to be saved from Egypt. But little babies are not in sin today. They're not in bondage to sin. The Bible clearly teaches that little children are safe. For example, when David's little baby died in 2 Samuel, David's little baby died and he said, He cannot come back to me. 
We can't bring him back. But I will go to him. David believed, just like I do, that little babies are safe. When his little baby died, went to glory. And I can go to be with him. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the... You know what he said, don't you? Of such is the kingdom of the old devil down in hell. No, he didn't either. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Little babies are safe. He again said, Except ye be converted and become as a little child, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Little children are safe. They're such as are going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Mark 10, 15, and Matthew 18, 1 to 3. Little babies are safe. They're not lost. They don't need to be saved. Therefore, they do not need to be baptized to be saved, as you can clearly see. But all who were in bondage in Egypt had to cross the Red Sea to be saved from that slavery or that bondage down there in the land of Egypt. And Paul called that in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Not in the cloud by itself. And not in the sea by itself. But in the two elements. The sea stood like a wall on either side of them. And they crossed over on dry land. But the cloud covered them up. And hence they were buried or covered up, overwhelmed in the cloud and in the sea. The two elements required. And Paul calls that a baptism, a covering up or a burial. Someone who practices sprinkling says, Wait a minute, preacher. They were baptized in that cloud, so it rained on them. It sprinkled. Therefore, sprinkling is baptism. No. It didn't rain out of that cloud. I know it didn't because the Bible says they went over on dry land. It, it, it wasn't sprinkled land or wet land where it had been sprinkling rain. But furthermore, they crossed at night. Do you remember? They crossed over at night. The Bible says all of them crossed the same night. That night was a night to be much remembered. They crossed at night. But you know what kind of cloud that was at night? It was a pillar of fire by night. It would have been boiling water if it had been raining on them that night. <laughs> and so it wasn't sprinkling at all. There's no water falling on them. There, the water was like a wall on either side of them. And in the two elements, the cloud and in the sea, they were overwhelmed or submerged or covered up in the cloud and in the sea. And the word baptized simply means buried or covered or submerged, overwhelmed. It does not mean sprinkle or pour. There are three Greek words. One of them, sprinkle. Another one, pour. And another one, bury or immerse. And the Bible never uses the word for sprinkle, rantizo, or keo for pour. It always uses the word baptizo, or one of its forms, for immerse. Talking about baptism. Bible baptism is not sprinkling or pouring, but it is immersion. 
When we were in Palestine, on our journey to Palestine, we stopped in Rome. We stopped in Damascus. And in Damascus, we went down to the house of St. Ananias. Now, fact or fiction, I don't know whether it's the same house or not, but they call it that. The house of St. Ananias. And we went down there, and there's a picture of Paul, Saul of Tarsus, as he was formerly known, kneeling down. And Ananias had a wooden bowl, about like a salad bowl, and had a little wooden bowl, and he's pouring water on Paul's head. And I spoke up, and I said to the group, 35 or 40 people maybe in the room at the time we were there, there's that painting on the wall, and our guide pointed out, there's St. Ananias baptizing Saul of Tarsus. I just spoke up and said, wait a minute, folks. That picture doesn't correspond with the Bible. The Bible says, Paul himself wrote it, we, that includes him, we were buried with him by baptism. Our guide said, no, 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 this, uh, this is the way it happened. He was poured, poured water on him. This picture came straight from Rome. And I said, that's a trouble. You went to the wrong source. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome. And in Romans 6, Paul said, I was buried. We were buried. About that time, our guide got hold of my father and said, you better get your son and get him to come over here and let me talk to him. Better not argue with these guides over here. They could have you arrested. That, uh, that room full got the truth, <laughs> whether any other room full ever did or not. Not supposed to argue with those guides over there. But anyway, Paul said we were buried with him by baptism. Romans 6 and verse 3. And they did go to the wrong source to get sprinkling or pouring. It's not in the Bible. Had to go somewhere else to get it instead of the Bible. I'm going to have Brother Rogers read in a few minutes from 1 Corinthians 10. But I do want you to remember that they were in bondage down there in the land of Egypt. That was slavery. God had foretold Abraham that thy seed shall sojourn in a strange land about 400 years. But in the fourth generation, I'll bring them out. And he certainly did. He brought them out under the leadership of Moses. But their service to the old Egyptians, Pharaoh and his nation, was no more actual and no more real than the service of the sinner is service to the devil and service to sin. In Romans 6, Paul said, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom you obey. Everybody ought to know that, hadn't you? Everybody ought to understand that if you work for somebody, you obey him. He's your boss. You're his servant. And so, if you obey him, you're his servant. And he said that in Romans 6, verses 16 to 18. He said, You were... I'm glad he put it in past tense. You were servants of sin. Now, they were servants of the Egyptians. They were in bondage down there in the land of Egypt. But the sinner is a servant of sin, and he's in sin. And thus he's in bondage to the old devil, serving the devil by his own choice. In Jesus' statement to the Jews in his argument or debate with them, in John 8, a lot of people say, I don't believe in debating today. Like Brother Jackson signed up for that one in June. Some people say, I don't believe in debating. Jesus did. You read his debate there in John 8. 
In fact, if you read the biographies of Christ, all four of them, you'll find that he had a number of debates. Jesus debated with the religious leaders of his day, and in this debate with them, Jesus would make a speech and they'd make some reply to it and Jesus would respond. They debated this matter. And Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They said, We've never, we're Abraham's children. They could brag. We be Abraham's seed. We've never been bondage to any man. I don't know how in the world they could think straight and make a statement like that with a clear face, clear countenance. Don't you remember the Egyptian bondage? Don't you remember the Babylonian captivity? Don't you remember that right now, Jesus could have said, right now, you're subject to Rome, you're under Roman rule and Roman dominion, and yet they could ignore the facts and say, we've never been in bondage to any man. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They're free. They were in bondage to sin right then, and ignoring the facts, and not even representing the truth when they made such a statement. But God saw their affliction down there in the land of Egypt, and he appeared to Moses, raised him up, you remember, and finally, out there on the shepherd's mountainside, God appeared to him in a burning bush and said, Moses... I want you to go bring my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage. Moses began to offer excuses, but eventually he went. And God used that man, Moses, who had become humbled. God used him to lead them out of Egypt. God was merciful to them and sent a leader, Moses, to bring them to freedom. Bring them to liberty. And that's a picture of how God saw our plight as servants of sin. And he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Don't you love that text? Isn't it precious to us? That God loved us and sent Jesus to be our Savior when we didn't deserve it when we were not worthy of it, when man didn't even appreciate it and murdered him, God still loved us. And Jesus could say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. And entered a plea of ignorance on our behalf. God loved us and sent Jesus to be our Savior. He sent Moses to lead them out, but he sent Christ to bring us out of sin to heaven itself some sweet day. And so there's the mission of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the apostle said, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that though he was rich, that's his pre-fleshly existence. A lot of people don't even know that Jesus had an existence before the virgin birth. He didn't originate at the virgin birth. He always was and always will be. He is eternally. He had a pre-fleshly existence. In Philippians 2, Paul said, beginning with verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God. When was that? Before the virgin birth. 
from all eternity past. He was with God until he came to earth and was born of Mary at Bethlehem of Judea, the virgin birth. He was in the form of God and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The American Standard says he thought being on an equality with God not a thing to be grasped, not something to hold on to. When God wanted one of the three persons of the Godhead to condescend and come to earth and redeem mankind, he designated Jesus to come. And Jesus didn't say, wait a minute, I'm equal to you and the Holy Spirit. If somebody got to go down yonder and save Flavel Nichols and James Rogers and the rest of those folks on earth, one of you go, I'm not going. No, he didn't do that. He thought being on an equality with God, not something to be clung to, not something to hold on to, but he humbled himself and came to earth and was found in fashion as a man and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. There's the mission of Christ. He came from heaven to earth and in the judgment seen itself, He's pictured as my judge and yours, not as deity, but the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. He's going to judge us because he came to earth, became one of us, and can fully sympathize with us. And even in the judgment scene, he's referred to as the man, Christ Jesus himself man. And so Jesus came to a mission, on a mission of mercy. Moses was sent on a mission to lead them out of bondage. Christ was sent from heaven to earth to bring us out of our sins into a righteous state before God. God knew that it would be necessary for the people to have someone who could feel their a sense of compassion for them, could sympathize with them and put himself in their place. And so he had Moses. Moses had been reared in all the learning and the wisdom of the Egyptians, Stephen said. And he had been brought up in the palace. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter by adoption. But when he was come to years, he refused that. He gave that up. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, gave up the palace, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses gave up the palace in order to be their leader and bring the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage, to the land of Canaan that God promised 400 years earlier to give to Abraham, Isaac, and his and Jacob and his seed after him. And so God gave Moses gave up the palace, but Christ gave up heaven. To show you further that Jesus was in heaven before he came down here, he prayed in John 17 near the end of his personal earthly life. He said, "O Father, glorify thou me." with thine own self, bring me up there where you are. Well, will that be a new experience for you, Jesus? Oh, no, no. He said, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. 
Jesus said, I was up yonder first, before the world was. And then I came to earth. He said, I came down from heaven. Luke 6, 38, 36 to 38. And so he came down from heaven. He said, what and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. Christ gave up heaven. Doesn't it make you love him more to know that he once was up there and then came down here to live like a human being? Gave up the glory world to live on earth. What a sacrifice that must have been for him. Moses gave up an earthly palace. Christ gave up heaven itself. You remember that he had a part in creation. In Hebrews 1, the writer tells us that God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time passed unto the fathers by the, the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son by whom also he made the worlds. God made the world by Jesus Christ. Christ had a part in creation. And thus, having had that power of deity, a member of the Godhead himself, equal with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit, and yet he humbled himself and came to earth from heaven. Paul therefore said, Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich. That was in heaven. That was his pre-fleshly existence. Yet for your sakes, yours and mine, he became poor, that we, through his poverty, might be rich. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. I want Brother Rogers to read, though, from 1 Corinthians 10 and begin with verse 1, Brother Rogers, and let's see again the emphasis that the apostle puts on this as a picture, a likeness, an example for us. Read for us. For I would not, brethren, have you ignorant that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual food and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of a spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Howbeit with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples. Now look at that. Paul said this is a picture of our salvation. These things were our examples. So he's saying that this is an illustration. It's scriptural, therefore, to think of this as a picture of the gospel. Paul said these are our examples. It goes down in the paragraph later and says it again. Read on, Brother Rogers. To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now these are some examples in this column of the chart. I may not get to this part tonight, but perhaps I will. And he said he talks about these things. That we, should, we in the church, we should not lust after evil things like they did. Neither... Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us make trial of the Lord, as some of them made trial and perished by the serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them murmured and perished by the destroyer. Now listen to the next verse. 
Now these things happen unto them by way of example. By way of example, King James Version says, for in samples. By way of example. And they're written. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages are come. They're written for us to learn lessons from them, for our admonition. And then what? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. They were saved from Egypt and then fell from grace. You could fall from grace as a member of the church, too. That's what Paul is warning here in this lesson. Thank you for reading, Brother Rogers, from that passage. I want you to notice, however, that in this picture, some details that I have on the chart are not mentioned in this chapter, but the Bible account of them is so clear and so well known that I think you can see the example of them, too. When God sent Moses down there, he didn't just let Moses go and say, Now, God told me to come and tell you this or that. God gave him convincing evidence to prove that he sent him. When Moses was out there on the mountainside and God appeared to him in that burning bush, Moses said, They won't believe me. They won't believe me. God said, Moses, look at your hand. Not a thing wrong with it. He's healthy, able-bodied man in the prime of life. Stick your hand in your bosom. He did. He said, take it out now and look at it. And it was rotten with leprosy. Incurable malady. Now stick it back in your bosom. Take it out again. And it was well again. He said, Moses, what is that in your hand? He was watching the sheep, and he said, it's a rod. It may have had a crook on the end of it, like a shepherd's rod or crook, a staff. It may have been straight. I don't know. He said, it's a rod. He said, throw it down. And when he did, it turned into a snake. And Moses fled. That doesn't sound like he poked around, does it? Wasted a lot of time. Moses fled from before the face of him. God said, Moses, come back here and take it by the tail. Now, I've never handled many snakes. Don't intend to either. I'm afraid of them. I'll get a hoe after everyone I see. But they tell me that the most dangerous place to pick up a snake is by his tail. He can whip his head around there and bite your hand. And God didn't say catch him right behind the head. He said take him by the tail. And when he did... It turned back to a rod in his hand again. God said, you go show these miracles to the children of Israel, and they'll believe I sent you. The purpose of miracles was to make them believe that God sent him. Faith didn't come by miracles. Faith came by the word, but the miracle confirmed the word. And therefore, it was confirmation of the gospel, confirmation of the message. Old Testament or New Testament. It confirmed the word. That was the purpose of it. Now Christ likewise sent the apostles out. Told them to preach the gospel to every creature. And he said these signs shall follow them that believe. These signs will accompany the American Standard Version. They'll go with you. You go preach the gospel. These signs will go along with you. These signs will accompany you. Go with the ones that do the going. Well he just told the apostles to evangelize the world. Go preach the gospel to every creature. And verse 20, Mark 16 is where I'm talking from. Mark 16, verses 14 to 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. The purpose of signs in the New Testament was to confirm the word. Brother Rogers read last night from 
John 20 and verses 30 and 31, where John said, these written signs are to make you believe. These many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe. He knew you never would see a miracle. And so he had these written down so we could believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so the purpose of miracles was to confirm the word. I have a friend who used to preach in Jackson, Tennessee when I lived there and uh, preached at another congregation. And this friend had two visitors. The newspapers had been carrying a story about a man that was hoboing on the side of a railroad car in Boston. And this railroad track went right next to a building and the sign on the building said, this building will not clear a man on the side of a car. Sign big letters up there on the building. Any railroad man on the, hanging on the steps on the side of the car supposed to see that sign and get off. But this hobo man hitching a ride ignored that sign and the train slammed him into the building and tore his arm off right at his shoulder. And the ambulance came, picked him up. There's his arm lying loose. Torn completely off his arm, shoulder. And the newspapers have been carrying the story of the week before this visit by these friends. And uh, carried him to the hospital and the doctor said, let's try to save it. Let's put that arm back on. And the operation lasted all night. They put that arm back. The muscles and the nerves and blood vessels reconnected and everything. And they saved his arm. This friend of mine saying, you mean to say that if you'd been, they claim they could work miracles. You mean if you'd been in Boston and that fellow's arm had been knocked off on that wall and lying there, you could have put it back on for him without an operation? Yes, sir. He wouldn't even have had a scar. Wouldn't have been sick the next day. Not at all. He said, I don't believe it. And they said, well, if we found you on the highway unconscious after a car wreck and your leg cut off, we could put it back on there and you wouldn't even limp. Find you unconscious on the highway. We could put that leg back on. You wouldn't have any scars. You wouldn't even limp. He said, I don't believe it. But said, I'll tell you what I'll do. said, here's my pocket knife. There's my finger. You cut my finger off and put it back on, and I'll join your church and preach for you. Boy, he said, you don't have any faith in me. He said, no, if I was unconscious on the highway, I wouldn't have any faith in you either. Wouldn't have any faith in you. He said, well, we can't do it unless you got faith in us. He said, could you if I had faith in you? Yes, we could do it if you had faith in us. He said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He said, that's the trouble. You don't believe and we couldn't do it. He turned to his other partner. He said, do you believe he could cut my finger off and put it back on? He said, yes, sir, I believe he could do it. He said, he's got faith in you. Cut his finger off and put it back on. <laughs> and they left in such a hurry they forgot their overcoat and had to come back to the door. <laughs> Why the purpose of miracles has been accomplished there's not anybody on earth that can work miracles like that today. And making false claims. In Matthew the 10th chapter, when Jesus sent the apostles out to heal the sick, he said, raise the dead in the same verse. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Now, some, some people say, we need a healing church today. How about a dead-raising church today?
Same verse. Doesn't make sense, does it? Anything that can be demonstrated doesn't need to be debated. Just prove it. Demonstrate it. No use to debate it. Demonstrate it. The purpose of miracles was to make them believe that God had sent Moses. It was to confirm Moses where he couldn't turn to the Bible and prove it by the Bible. It wasn't written yet. The apostles couldn't turn to the New Testament and prove that they're preaching the gospel of Christ. It wasn't written yet. And hence Christ backed up, endorsed their preaching with miraculous power and demonstration. But we don't need that today. It's been confirmed. You know, when the Supreme Court confirms a lower court's decision, it stays confirmed. It doesn't have to be reconfirmed every three months or every six years or every 20 years or anything. It stays confirmed. When the New Testament was confirmed, it doesn't need any new confirmation any more than it needs a new revelation. It's been revealed. It stays revealed. It's been confirmed and it stays confirmed. But the purpose of miracles was to make them believe that God had sent Moses, and they did. Exodus 4.31 says they believed God and sang His praises because He had sent Moses to lead them out. And when people saw the miracles of Christ and the apostles, they believed the gospel they preached. Faith came not by miracles, but by the Word that was confirmed by miracles. And it stays confirmed. So they believed God sent Moses. We must believe it, Jesus Christ came from God to save us. Jesus said, If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. You see, there'd be no, no motivating power to make you obey Christ if you don't believe in him. If you don't believe in him, you wouldn't obey him. But you know, when they heard Moses and believed in Moses, they're still in Egypt. They had faith, but they're still under Pharaoh. They still, those old Egyptian taskmasters still made them work hard. Had faith in Moses? Yes, sir. Believed God sent him? Yes, sir. But one plague after another came upon the Egyptians before their faith saved them. They believed for a long time, it seems, before their faith saved them. They had faith in Exodus 4. Ten chapters later we read, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Exodus 14, and verses 29 and 30. And so they were saved in chapter 14, but they believed in chapter 4. They believed God sent Moses back there in chapter 4. But he hadn't yet told them what to do. And so they were not saved from Egypt in chapter 4, but 10 chapters later. Furthermore, when they believed in Moses, they demonstrated by their obedience that they did have faith in him. They turned from Egypt at his instruction. They laid down their tools and quit working for old Pharaoh, and they followed Moses. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he expects you to turn from your sins in repentance and follow him you must follow Christ. Jesus said, No man can come after me unless he'll take, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You'll have to follow Christ if you're going to be his disciple. But you know, in following Moses, they soon came to the Red Sea. They didn't follow him very long till there's the Red Sea right out in front of them. 
wilderness on either side, Red Sea, and, and then Pharaoh and his army right behind. They're not saved yet. They're still in danger of being captured and carried back and being made to serve old Pharaoh some more. Or being killed out there by Pharaoh's army. They're not saved. They're still in Egypt. But they believed. They've turned from Egypt and started out. They're following Moses. We followed them this far. But they still haven't crossed the Red Sea and they're still on Egyptian soil. That represents the sinner who believes in Christ and he repents of his sin. He's ashamed of his sin. He wants forgiveness of his sins. And then he learns that he must repent and be baptized for mission of sin. And in following Christ, he soon comes to baptism. Jesus said, he that believeth, how much faith do I have to have, Jesus? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. How much faith? Enough faith to be baptized. And so they soon came to the Red Sea, and we soon come to baptism. And they, by faith, by faith, not in the Red Sea, not in the cloud, but the faith was in God who sent Moses to lead them out. By faith in God, we repent of our sins. Faith in God who sent Christ to redeem us. We follow Christ. And he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. They followed Christ through the Red Sea and we must follow, they followed Moses through the Red Sea and we follow Christ in being baptized. My religious friends, good people, many of them just as good as you and I are, morally. Sincere, honest people, yes, but they've not been taught like the Bible reads. Many of them say, well, look, I don't want to be baptized. I don't believe in baptism. Baptism's not my Savior. No, and the Red Sea wasn't their Savior either. But God was the Savior. When did He save them? Before they crossed the Red Sea? No. After they crossed the Red Sea. Exodus 14, 29 says, they crossed the Red Sea, and then the next verse, verse 30 says, the Lord saved them. That day. Exodus 14, 30. Now, God is our Savior. Christ is my Savior. Baptism is not my Savior. Faith is not my Savior. Repentance is not my Savior. The church is not my Savior. God's my Savior. But when is He?